Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Tuesday, November 26th, and today is going to be a very fun episode, a little turkey day primer, if you will. We're going to talk a little NFL Week 12 recap, some NBA storylines, and especially about that new midseason tournament they may be proposing or adding into the NBA. And then we're also going to end it off with, with some turkey day coverage of the three football games. And today I'm joined by two guests. I have... Alex Cantor and Big Dog. It's a real treat. We're doing a three-man weave today. How you boys doing? Doing well. Doing great and uh, happy to talk turkey, really. Turkey is great. I'm actually, we can get to this later because we're going to do a little Thanksgiving talk later. But I'm a, I'm a big stuffing guy. So uh, <laughs> I, I even though the tur- turkey skin and stuffing, hard to choose between the two, both very good. But let's talk about some football first, boys. Um so last night, we'll start with the Monday night game. The Ravens absolutely rolled the Rams 45-6. to Lamar Jackson leapfrogged Russell Wilson to number one in the MVP odds conversation. The world is crowning him. He is playing phenomenal. Any takeaways from that game? My biggest was that the Rams are dead, and it's going to be really tough to stop Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. I really think the only team who could maybe do it is the Patriots. Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about that game because it was a stinker. Yeah, that was a terrible game. The Rams, like you said, they're done. Even though the NFC, the NFC's too good. They're six and five now. Is that the record? Yep, six and five. But it's that's just and tall. They look so bad. Jared Goff looks terrible right now. Um, their defense sucks. Jalen Ramsey's getting in fights again, and they're a mess. And they're not the team from last year at all. Yeah, yeah and, and, look- and if. I was no, gonna say go if, if you're the Rams, if you're the Rams right now, you obviously are rethinking the contracts that you gave out in the last year, <laughs> um, because oh clearly, clearly it's not working right between Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, and and Randall Woods. Yeah, Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, I believe, both got over. I mean, they both got. I think I think a big contract for a wide receiver is around thirteen to fifteen million dollars a year, and I believe they're both in that range. And not to say that neither of them are not good, but I mean that's a lot of money to be forking out to guys because I don't think any of those two are a clear number one by any means. Um, and so, but I mean, on the other side, how can you stop the Ravens? No, you guys have any ideas? Nobody has an answer right now. So I don't. I don't think there's a true way unless you do maybe the seven defensive back thing the Chargers did, which I think, like we were talking about, Bill Belichick's going to hold his card until the playoffs or other teams are going to do that. Yeah. So we'll see. But right I mean, now it, he's unstoppable just, and he's he's killing it. People are throwing the kitchen sink at him and it'll be what I'm really excited for. And Alex, I know you're, you'll probably be excited about this is next week we have Ravens. 49ers Ooh. and watching Lamar versus that defensive line of the 49ers is going to be fantastic. Yeah, this is this is what I live for. And and to be honest, I I really do think the Niners, I mean, and I will say this as unbiasedly as I can here, <laughs> have a have a nice shot here. And if if I was Oh, I agree. If I was Robert Sala, like the way that I would be playing this is saying, you know what, I think that our front four are so strong that We'll let them try to deal with Lamar, and if we can take out the passing game, like what we saw last night essentially is this. If you let Lamar Jackson throw five TDs, he will win the game. So the way that I think <laughs> about it is let's let him run for 120 yards and and try to take away the passing game and, and see what we can do there. And I think the front four will be able to put up enough pressure just to at least mess up what Baltimore has going on. 
Yeah, and you would imagine that Baltimore ideally does not want to have to rush Jackson more than four or five times, honestly. I mean, he gets 15 to, I mean, 10 to 15 yards almost every time he goes. But for them as a young QB, I imagine they, they by no means want him having to run to get wins, especially in the regular season. Yeah, and and I I I really hope that at least what the Niners can do offensively is, you know, do their best to keep the ball out of his hands. And maybe at the end of the day, that is the strategy here, right? You see, you know, the Rams went three and out in what felt like almost every single drive. So if the Niners can frankly just keep the Baltimore Ravens offense off the field, then that's that's their best shot, I think. That's a very good that's a very good point. Um, bouncing off Lamar Jackson because this podcast has been a hotbed for Lamar Jackson, <laughs> Baker Mayfield, even though I just casually mentioned that in week one of the regular season and now it's turned into this whole thing. But I still stand by Baker. I love Baker. The Browns win again. And Andrew, I'm going to go to you on this one. The Browns have won their last three games. They are still alive. They're five and seven. Their next games are Steelers, Bengals, Cards, Ravens, Bengals. The future look am I crazy to think that the Rams could run the table and get sneak into the AFC playoff picture with teams like the Raiders losing and everything being so fucked up? Big dog? I don't think you're crazy because you get the Bengals twice and they haven't even won one game yet. So those should be two wins. The Cardinals aren't very good. And Baker Mayfield the past three games has a seven to one touchdown ratio. He's catching a little fire. Just saying. It looks quite nice. Um, and so that AFC, uh, that last seed in the AFC, because it seems like, I mean, we're going to talk about the Bills a little later with Thanksgiving. The Bills seem really legit at 8-3. and three, And so they might have that first wild card in the AFC wrapped up. Mm-hmm. But between the Ravens, the Browns, the Raiders, um, or not the Ravens, excuse the me, Raiders. the Browns, Raiders, and then you got teams like the Colts or possibly Titans can get involved in that uh, wild card race so that'll be interesting and who knows that it'll probably those teams will probably lose enough to give me somehow a sliver of hope for the chargers even though that's probably ridiculous um moving on we talked a little bit about the 49ers earlier but let's just quickly go over this game the 49ers absolutely dominated the packers made aaron Rodgers look terrible ran the ball down their throats i kind of saw this coming um, not to toot my own horn. I mean, I just what I saw was I just the Niners run offense similar to the Ravens just seems unstoppable. And the things they do to give Jimmy G a clean pocket with the wide receiver end arounds and play actions. I mean, he's it's kind of a quarterback's dream. I would imagine what he's the situations he's in. Um, Alex, I'm going to ask you, what do you take away from the 49ers in this game? And then, Andrew, I'm going to ask you about the Packers side after. So one, I mean, it was obviously refreshing to have, you know, Debo, um, Samuel and Kittle back. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that when you look at these last couple games and the struggles that people have been pointing at Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, in these last few games, I mean, you've probably had just around like 250 yards dropped by the receivers that were playing in those games. So to have those guys back and then to still have Coleman playing so well, to have Brita probably coming back next week, um, the play action becomes such a viable option just throughout the game. And you see that play to to Kittle there in the middle of the game, and, and he's wide open. I mean, he's just wide open. He No one can stop him. He's he's a good blocker. And on these end arounds where they run the play option, uh, you know, these teams just are so front-footed looking for the run, 
and they get caught off guard. And uh, it makes it easier on Jimmy, and he doesn't have to force such difficult passes into double coverage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. George Kittle. I mean, I know it's ridiculous to suggest a tight end for MVP, but uh, I mean, he's playing at an MVP level. I'm not suggesting he should win it, but I mean, that dude is one of the best. I mean, every whenever he catches the ball, he does things that I've never really seen a tight end do because it's different than Gronk, it's different than Tony Gonzalez, it's different than Gates. George Kittle's faster than all those guys, and not only is he that, he seems like a great teammate too. Andrew, let's talk a little bit about the Packers. You had kind of been on this for the last few weeks. Are they frauds? They are frauds. Aaron Rodgers and Matt before they look cute. It seems like it's going to work really well, and they're they're eight and three, but. I'm looking at their schedule, their most impressive win this year. I guess I'll give you guys the option. It would, they beat the Cowboys, they beat the Raiders, and they beat the Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes. And that's it. It's everyone else is probably the Cowboys would be But I mean what do the Cowboys look like? Honestly? The Cowboys haven't been a five hundred team. And so I think Aaron Rodgers is good at trickiness because people always compare him to Tom Brady lately, which is ridiculous. And, you know, he's just a little over – he's not overrated, but their offense is overrated right now, and I don't think they're that good. Yeah, and I think we also saw their run defense get absolutely exposed. And so to follow up on that, I guess I'll go to both of you on this. Andrew, we'll start with you. If the Packers are frauds or just not as good as their record indicated, do you, do you envision a scenario where the Kirk Cousins-led Vikings could somehow – take that division lead because they're um i believe now they both have three losses they're both eight and three three. so uh, andrew initial reaction to that statement i'm still gonna take the packers i'll still take aaron Rodgers, but they'll be 12 and four and they'll probably get a home game at the playoffs but i would not be that afraid of them the saints the niners and the seahawks are the best teams in the nfc all right and alex yep i'm going with packers too i uh I, I mean, their schedule upcoming, Giants, Redskins, Bears. I mean, toughest game probably is the Vikings. Um, and regardless of the team you are, you don't want to go to Lambeau in the playoffs. So Very true. I'll, I'll take Aaron. It's I also agree with both of you. I agree with both of you. I take the Packers, too, because Aaron Rodgers over Kirk Cousins. I still don't believe yeah. in Kirk Cousins, even <laughs> though somehow this year he's kind of – he's won some primetime games all of a sudden. Um, all right, let's quickly go over these next two. Um we got the Cowboys and Eagles both losing. Cowboys lose to the Patriots in a low-scoring game, and then the Seahawks crush the Eagles. They only won by about, I think, four, 11 or 14, but the Eagles' offense looked absolutely horrendous. Um, Carson Wentz, I mean, I'm a believer in Carson Wentz, but he looks terrible. Um, Andrew, I'll give you this – or Alex, I'll give you this question. What was more impressive about that game, or what stood out to you more, the Seahawks' performance against the Eagles – or is it how bad the Eagles looked? I don't know if you got to see that much of that game, but yeah, I was watching that game because I'm, you know, always looking for a Seahawks loss right now. Even with the Niners mm-hmm. being so good, I, I really don't want to fall into the wild card. And the the thing that stood out to me is that Carson Wentz just doesn't look that good anymore. And it always has felt to me that the Eagles just lack the offensive firepower. I mean, when you look at them compared to Dallas. It seems like Dallas at any point can turn it on. Um, it yep. doesn't really look like the Eagles have the ability to do that, even if they wanted to. And I think that it, uh, 
that's because of just their lack of playmakers when you look at their offense. Um, I mean, Dallas, by no means, I mean, lately, like, look what they scored six points against the Patriots, but you still have Amari Cooper, even though he had zero catches. You still have Ezekiel Elliott. And when you look at the Eagles, you got Alshon Jeffrey, who's been hurt all year, hurt every other week, it seems. Deshaun Jackson's missed a lot of time. You got Zach Ertz, but not much else because the running game really hasn't gotten going. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, Andrew, now I'm going to go over to you with the Cowboys losing to the Patriots. I mean, not really to say much about that game because it's the Patriots. I mean, I don't think that many people really expected the Cowboys to do anything there. Um, do you think, going down the stretch, who do you like more in this Eagles-Cowboys chase? Because they both lost, so it's still wide open. Um, who do you like? I still like the Eagles, even though they're a mess. and I just don't think the Cowboys are that good because they haven't beaten anyone that good this year and I still believe in Carson Wentz and I'm still going to take Doug Peterson I think they can turn it on at the right time and I don't think Jason Garrett's Cowboys will yeah and so jumping off that is this I actually kind of I finally believe this could this be the year where Jason Garrett is finally fired if they lose to the Eagles in this final like if they if miss the playoffs to the Eagles if I was a Cowboy fan, it must have been nice to see Jerry Jones criticize him a little bit after Sunday's game. Yeah, it's about time. So it only took eight, nine years, but I I think everyone knows it's long overdue. But if they don't make the playoffs, he for sure should be fired because that team is pretty good. Yeah, it's too talented. Um, All right, well, that was our NFL Week 12 recap. We're going to get into the Turkey Day games in a little. We're going to switch into the NBA right now, just some storylines. And, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Luka Doncic, I'm going to give you a few stats and then ask you a couple questions about him. Um, so get ready, you're on the hot seat. Right now, 33.2 PER, which is the best in NBA history. I know it's a small sample size, or not that small, but just the beginning part of the season. This is better than Michael Jordan, better than Wilt Chamberlain. This is the best PER ever, 33.2. And then when you look at his stats right now, he's averaging 30.6 points a game, 9.8 assists, and 10.1 rebounds. And he has the Mavs in fourth place in the West with an 11-5 and record. Alex, are you buying Luka as a legit MVP candidate this year? Yeah, it's starting to feel that way, right? And mm-hmm. I, I really think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think that he will be in the running. Um, but, I I mean, it's got to – I really do think that Giannis will still oh. win the MVP this year. I mean, I, I just can't think – it doesn't feel to me that Luca will keep the statistics that he has going for the rest of the year. Um, but when I look at Giannis and everything that he's able to do in terms of just pure dominance on the court, um, I, I think that will out outride uh, what Luca's doing. But what Luca's doing is just incredible. And and I was thinking about you know how unbelievably fortunate right Mark Cuban is right. He so he goes twenty years, twenty plus years with you know one of the best European players to, to, to ever play. He ends up with Luca, and now he probably has a much better European player, which is something that we probably didn't think we were ever going to say um, regarding yeah, Luca and Turk, right? Yeah, and I mean, not, not to mention that Mark Cuban during this stretch also had Steve Nash and fucked that up, and now he stumbled his way upon Porzingis. I like Mark Cuban, though, um, and I kind of agree with you, Alex. I, I think... It'll be tough for him not only to keep his stats that high, but with the Mavs sitting at fourth in the West, they're only 11-5. and five. There's a lot of teams in that mix. I think it's going to be harder for him to keep the Mavs high in the playoffs 
rather i mean probably even harder than him keeping his stats up because again if you want to be considered really like seriously for mvp i do think your team needs to be somewhat of a serious contender you know what i mean yeah i agree but i mean the thing that's so amazing about luca is that he's not even doing this like for example on on their home court right like he goes into houston um and houston coming off of a tough loss to the clippers you'd think you know what hey they're gonna come out they're going to really put their foot on the throat of Dallas. And yet Luca comes out and has almost, you know, a 40-point triple-double. And it is just seems like he is on another level when it comes to skill. But I think more importantly than that, and I think this is something that you say about few players, but it truly does seem that his basketball IQ is just on a totally different universe compared to most of the guys out there. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. And he also has that just killer instinct that is, I mean, very, very rare. Like you can go, there's only a, like you can probably count on two hands the number of people in NBA history who have that type of killer instinct. And the fact that we're even considering him in that category is crazy. Um, we're going to move on now to the Bucks. Uh, Alex, you mentioned Giannis and how you think he's going to win MVP. Well, let me give you this. Right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo is averaging 31.1 points a game, 13.9 rebounds, 6.4 assists, and the Bucks are 14-3 and on an eight-game winning streak. I'm going to start with you on this one, big dog. You were a little skeptical coming about the Bucks coming into the season, as I was with them losing Malcolm Brogdon. Are you buying in to this Bucks streak right now with, I mean, let me give you another stat, big dog. Middleton right now and Bledsoe combined are averaging over 35 points a night. And Middleton did miss a few games of injury, but he's coming back. Are you buying this Bucks? Are you feeling a little more happy about your Bucks this year, Big Dog? That stat made me feel a little bit better, and the record makes you feel optimistic. But I think the East is pretty open. And, I mean, it's probably them and the Sixers, I would say, realistically. And I think... The Bucks can overcome that again this year. I think they'll make the finals this year, but I still think they're kind of like the Packers where they're not that good because I think they need to find another player to compliment Giannis. So I, they need to make a move at the trade deadline, I think, but I don't know. Yeah, and so Alex, put, throwing it over to you, um, I did mention that Middleton-Bledsoe stat of averaging over 35 a night. Are you buying into that combination? Not necessarily them playing off each other, but those two being able to produce that way maybe into the playoffs. I mean, it might if you're more confident in Middleton than Bledsoe, that obviously makes sense. But do you buy into them as serving as a 2-3 for Giannis maybe to make the finals? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I, I think that if I had the choice between Brogdon and Bledsoe, I would rather have Brogdon. But in the situation that it is, it sounds like the Bucks are making it work. And I think that's because, and it, which is shocking to say, that Giannis got way better since last year. I mean, his all of his statistics are up, including his overall efficiency on the court. I mean, the Bucks are scoring more than everybody else, number one in points, number one in pace. They're pushing the ball, and um, it's working. And honestly, when I look at the East right now, I just don't see any team that that has the chemistry. Um, and at the end of the day, that number one player that's going to go against Giannis and beat him. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I totally see your point there. 
um, with the Bucks. It, my question with the Bucks always is: I know they're going to be really good going, and it's just always been two things: Giannis developing a shot, which is actually we've seen progress in that. Him, Giannis, on when he takes a dribble and steps into a three-pointer, I believe he's shooting around 38% this year, which is obviously a massive increase from where he started. And then the other thing is 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 Budenholzer. I mean, we've seen him for a while now, almost 10 years, being successful in the regular season. Is there potentially something about his scheme that is not going to work in the playoffs? And those Hawks teams are a prime example of that. But the exception with these teams is they do have Giannis. But I would like to see him prove it in the um, playoffs, and I think this year is a real opportunity for you, for him. Um, Alex, do you have any doubts about Budenholzer, or am I crazy? No, I, I, I think that you're kind of on the money there. Um, and I, I think those those Hawks teams are, are, are a great example. I mean, they were going up against at what the time were the two best teams during those runs were the Warriors and the Hawks, which was just a kind of a crazy yeah, thing. Wild. They get in as the one seed in it and essentially don't do anything in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as my faith may waver when it comes to Budenholzer, you know, I, ha- I don't have any of those feelings necessarily when it comes to Giannis. And he's the one on the court with the ball. And even when it comes to the playoffs and I see Ben Simmons trying to guard him, my money is on Giannis. Yeah, um, I agree there. And um, we'll actually we'll skip ahead to that really quick and then we'll jump back to what we had next. Because you mentioned Ben Simmons, the Philadelphia 76ers. They are at a point, I think, where... This year, I mean, Alex, we talked about this a little a week ago, but I just think we're seeing it more because when you look at Ben Simmons' numbers in crunch time, they are not very good. And Joel Embiid laid a goose egg last night in a lot in the loss in a five point loss to the Toronto Raptors. Is there is there reason for us to worry in Philadelphia? You think, Alex? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this goes back to what we were talking about on the previous podcast here. Is that I I'm. I'm kind of struggling to understand what exactly the Philadelphia 76ers identity is really at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. They have a lot of targets. They have extreme size. And when you look at what Ben Simmons is and what he could be, um, as long as like with Joel Embiid, you know, it always kind of felt like they never really had a ceiling. I mean, they could, they could go as, as, as far as they wanted to, but we didn't really see a lot of incremental growth from last year to this year in essentially Absolutely. both of those players. Um, and it, it, it just doesn't feel like they're ready to make that jump. And, and I just don't know if, if they are as a pair going to make that jump or if, you know, one of them is going to have to go to bring in another piece. Um, but I really do think that Ben Simmons not being able to shoot is just really hurting that team. They don't have a lot of shooters on the team. And yeah. it's hard when you have to offend, like basically say that Al Horford is going to be our, you know, spot up three point shooter. Um, yeah. Which is a lot to say because Al Horford is a, a good shooter for a big man, but by no, he's not a marksman. No, I mean, he's a good shooter, but he's not like, it's not like you have Kyle Korver or Clay Thompson out there. No, and even Tobias Harris is shooting 30% from the three right now. And, you know, it, it feels like he could really blossom into a great player somewhere, but he's essentially relegated to the third option, third, fourth option on this team. Um, and it just doesn't feel like things are, are really going correctly out there. Yeah, see, I 
I, I agree completely. It just seems like they have a lot of talent on the team, but it just doesn't fit at all. Um, Andrew, I'm going to throw you kind of a tough question before we move on. Let's say something happened tonight and that for some reason we we find out that it's just not going to work with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And you are the GM of the 76ers, big dog. You are Elton Brand. Who do you keep, Embiid or Simmons? I keep Joel Embiid. I think he's the fans like him more, just in general. And I think he can get that crowd riled up, and I'd want to play for Joel Embiid over Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, I think that is an underrated aspect of it. Joel Embiid cares a lot. He shows that emotion. The people of Philly do love him. And then, like Alex mentioned earlier, the jump shot with Ben Simmons, that's just tough. And, I mean, imagining a Ben Simmons-less 76ers team, because it's not like you just take away Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is incredibly valuable, has incredible trade value. So if you get rid of Ben Simmons, you're bringing in something very nice to complement Joel Embiid. And so I think even for both of them, Ben Simmons, he needs a team kind of similar to the Bucks, where they're building around him with shooters, and Embiid needs a team where he has a guard or some sort of perimeter player who can shoot and also maybe like a Jimmy Butler, honestly, to control the ball at the end of the game. So I think that maybe a year from now that will actually happen because I don't think they're going to do anything this year unless things get too bad. But um, I do think that's a conversation that is in the back of all Sixers fans' heads and probably a lot of people in that front office. Let's move on to the Lakers. Um, they are 15-2 and on an eight-game winning streak. LeBron James averaging 25.6 points a game, 7.4 rebounds, 11 assists, leading the league there. And then AD has got 25 points a game, 9 rebounds, and 2.9 blocks. Alex, I'm going to start with you on this. Do you see anyone stopping this Lakers team? I know that's a little early to say that, and the Clippers have a very talented team. But when they're rolling like this... It, they, they seem very hard to stop. Am I jumping the gun a little there? What are your thoughts? I think, I mean, I have a lot of faith in this Clippers team, but I see your point. I mean, it, it does feel like when the Lakers are rolling and they're pushing the ball, um, they almost feel just unbeatable. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, here's here's one point I, I do want to make here. Can we, can we stop with the, like, the, the, Social media of it being showtime in LA when LeBron and everybody are hitting threes. You know, like I get oh, yeah. it that the Shut Lakers up. have showtime been. Showtime was an era. That's disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, and I, like the Lakers have been so bad recently. So maybe just because they have some good players there, it may seem that way. Um, but newsflash, oh, Alex. Everybody's not, been not... shooting threes these last few years. Yeah, see, Alex, um, not to interrupt, but I think I figured out what happened here is that LeBron James is actually trying to trademark Showtime. So it's going to take a little, but he's going to have to just finagle it with the press for a little because he's such a douchebag. Um, <laughs> all right, Alex, sorry to interrupt. Continue with the Lakers. Um, I mean, specifically AD right now, the way he's playing defensively. I mean, Dwight Howard reemergence is looking really well. Um, I guess, it, I mean, it's just going to be a hell of a series because the star power with the Clippers, with Kawhi and Paul George, that's going to be gnarly. But um, LeBron's MVP case, I know you're, I mean, Giannis, hard to argue with that right now, but I do like with the Lakers winning like this, LeBron getting his maybe final MVP. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, not because I, I don't think that I don't LeBron want it to is. Happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be because <laughs> LeBron will, will slow down anytime soon. I just think it's, it's more of a Giannis issue. But, 
You know, I think the thing when I look at the Clippers and the Lakers is that at the end of the game, the Lakers are really going to have to put the ball in LeBron's hands. And it, it feels like over the last few years, that's not as viable of an option. And like we talked about last time, if Anthony Davis gets the ball on the block, like that's a go-to score. But when you look at the Clippers, and in these last really tough games against Houston and Boston, they have three legit, legit options. And when Patrick Beverly is hitting, you know, those little corner threes, um, I mean, they can like swing the ball around in a, in a, you know, close game with under 10 seconds left and someone's going to get a good jump shot. And yeah, um, it's a, it's a very good point. And so, so I, I really, at the end of these games, I, I take the Clippers over the Lakers. And I think that's why I have such faith in them uh, really kind of taking the crown from the West. Yeah, um, I like your point there, and to kind of piggyback on that, maybe not not only is it just like because the Clippers do have Kawhi, George, and Lou Williams who can take that shot, it kind of, if you look at the last couple of years, you kind of want just Kawhi over LeBron in those last closing moments because he's been such a killer. Am I crazy to think that? Nope, I think you're right. It really just feels like if Kawhi has the ball and – he can take a couple dribbles. I mean, it feels like when he, every once in a while, he'll have these like pull up three pointers that you kind of question. But if he can take his defender, who is usually not as strong as him, right around the free throw line, and he can take one of those turnaround jump shots or pull up jump shots right at the free throw line, it just feels like it's always going to go in. And um, it's a really good option for Doc Rivers to have. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. This has been a big piece of news in the NBA the last couple weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and explain it for everyone who's listening. Um, So Zach Lowe and Woj reported on this, um, this change the NBA is going to put out to a vote to the owners in regards to the schedule and some other things. So I'm going to break it down for everyone. So what this will do is that they're going to try and shorten the regular season to 78 games. That's one element of it. And what that would also contribute to is that there would be a play-in game at the end of the season for both the seven and eight seeds in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And then another thing is that there will be in the playoffs after the, so when there's four teams left, so when it would be the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference Finals, they are going to, instead of having it how it's been for forever, they're going to reseed those four teams based on record to avoid a scenario like two years ago when the Warriors and Rockets played in the Western Conference Finals, and that was really the finals compared to the the end of that Cavs run. Um, and so, but that's three parts of it. The biggest part of it would be that they're introducing a midseason tournament that all 30 teams would compete in. And so, these games that would count for the tournament would also count as regular season games at certain times. So, what would happen is, and the dates for when this would happen, like what time in the season hasn't been specified really but so it would be like a week or so i would guess in like maybe january february area you'd have a week or week and a half stretch where teams only play teams within their own conference so you're going to play everyone in your conference once so that's four to five games and then the winners or whoever has the best record in that conference pool play after those four to five games will move on to the tournament so that's six division winners three in the west three in the east and then They'll add two more wild cards to the that six to make it eight. And those two wild cards will be determined based on who has the best two records that didn't win the pool play. 
And so then what would happen is you'd have eight teams and they would play in a single elimination tournament and it'd be like the midseason classic or something. And the NBA, the, what they've said is like the, because the everyone listening is, and both of you are probably like, well, why would anyone care about this midseason tournament? Why would the Bucks play Giannis 45 minutes a game to win this? Or why would the Lakers play LeBron that much? The Sixers play Embiid, et cetera, et cetera. The NBA is kind of pitching it as, well, once we start doing this over time, it'll pick up significance and somehow that'll make it matter, which I kind of see their point there, but that's just kind of really hopeful thinking. So I know that was a lot to take in for both of you. Um, I am going to start with the midseason tournament and I'm going to ask you, I want just a one word answer from both of you. I'm going to go, do you like this idea? Yes or no? Big dog, you go first. Yes. Alex. Yes. I like it as well. I mean, obviously, from a gambling perspective, that would be very fun. Um, so now, Alex, about this midseason tournament, what jumps out to you as a big worry? What are your thoughts on it? Unravel this for the Pineapple Couch listeners in your, so, in your Alex Cantor way. Break it down for us. What do you like about this? What don't you like about this? Okay, so I think the the only thing that, you know could could get lost right like so so essentially right this is a 78 game minimum uh regular season with some of these teams right that are going to make it into the championship games of these tournaments playing more games than what the current regular season is so it would be a maximum of 83 games right and you know i hope the players association doesn't take that as you know we're moving in the wrong direction from playing less games and away from load management so that's like one worry for me um, but my view on this is why not, right? Like if, if this is going to create some excitement, especially, you know, if they were to take this tournament and move it into, um, let's say late November, early December with still having those significant Christmas games, then it kind of creates a little buzz of, well, maybe Christmas isn't the first time that we get to start making our true predictions about what a team is going to look like towards the end of the year. Right. Or um, wait to interject really quick. What if they made it the four to five games that stretch lead up to Christmas, like literally. And so the championship would be on Christmas. Yeah. No, I'm I'm all for that, too. That would I be, mean, oh, my God. Big dog. You like that? Ooh, yeah, yeah. I, that got big dog's ears perked up. I, I'm not even in the same room as him. And I know he liked that. But Alex, continue. Sorry. No, I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, when you look at some of these European sports, specifically soccer, you know, they, they've developed these in-season tournaments so well. They serve a significance. Um, it's just about the NBA trying to build tradition, trying to have buy-in, um, and creating some type of monetary value for an NBA player that may want to win this tournament. Um I mean, the way that I look at it is we're already watching these regular season games. Why not give them some weird amount of significance uh, that we can all tip our hats to? Um, And maybe, you know, at the end of the day, it just creates more fun for your average basketball fan, which I'm always for. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, And so moving off the midseason tournament and talking about some of the other things and Big Dog, how do you feel about the reseeding by record of the final four. So the two Western conference finalists and the two Eastern conference finalists, how does that strike you? Hmm. I'm not really sure. As an Eastern conference, uh, as a Bucks fan though, would you be 
pissed about that because potentially it's like, oh, fuck, now we have to play a LeBron AD or a Kawhi Paul George team rather than maybe. Can you explain it one more time for me and the listeners? Okay, so what what's going to happen with the final four reseeding by record is so, like, in the playoffs, once the Western Conference Finals they're and the Eastern Conference Finals are set, so there's four teams, they will take those four teams and then match them up one versus four and two versus three based on their regular season record. I want Giannis to be the best player in the East, and I don't understand what's the point of having conferences for the entire that's season. That's a great point. That's my... I think that's why you just get rid of it. The reason, though, to answer that question is because the Eastern Conference owners would never allow that. Um, but, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, As a Bucks fan, fuck that. Yeah. That's why I thought. That's why I threw that one to you. And then, Alex, um, I'm just going to run this by you. Because with, with the playing games for the 7-8 seeds, that kind of goes along the same lines of what you were saying. It's like, hey, we're watching these games anyways. Why don't we add something, add some flavor to the end of the season? Because the end of the season is pretty dry. Um, and whenever we do get those uh, games that are um, winner go home at the end of the year in game 82, they are very exciting. So um, I'm assuming you're all in on that sort of thing for the playing games for 7-8, right? Yeah, I'm all in for it. And, I mean, I the, the thing that I would really like to see is if you're going to couple a play-in tournament for those last few seeds, I think it would be awesome to then also maybe change – the structure of the playoffs in which those first couple games or first couple series, excuse me, are maybe just five games, maybe three. I mean, in some of them, in some cases, like when you look at baseball, mm-hmm. some of the most exciting baseball games are those wild card games because the structure of baseball really allows for that wild card team to potentially win. In the NBA, as it stands, Absolutely. that that one eight series is essentially the most predictable series in all of sports. Um, which sucks. And so if you're going to let these teams play in, like why not give them a better chance to actually make movement in the playoffs and let's change it to a five-game series. Yeah, I mean those 1-8 seven-game series are usually just four terrible games. Maybe you get a random game to make it five, so you're just kind of bummed that you have to watch it any longer. I couldn't agree more on that. Um, we're going to do uh, one last thing before we move on to the Turkey Day games. I wanted to talk to Alex really quickly about a young point guard. Had a little injury scare. I think he's going to be okay, though. But John Morant, the number two pick in the draft out of Murray State, right now he's averaging 19 points a game, six six assists a game. I just I don't really have like that much of a question here. I've just been I've loved what I've seen from him. I love his intensity. I love when the Grizzlies wear those throwback uniforms because he looks so damn cool in it. Him and Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be an electric combination. Um, Alex, are you as high on John, John Morant as I am? Yes and no. I am very nostalgic of a 2012 MVP type Derrick Rose player, um, which which I'm super excited for. But that also means that you know may or may not have that same ceiling that Derrick Rose had. I mean, I also think that the Derrick Rose career was also so dependent on his injury but when you look at yeah, style tragic. of play i mean and and what jaw i mean the the layup that jaw morant got injured on a few nights ago is a layup that he is constantly going to i mean he's going straight to the bucket on two three guys similar to what derrick rose was doing so you always have this 
fear of a of an injury um and oh, just his style of play but i do feel very nostalgic of you know what derrick rose was able to do and he's a great one-on-one player just unstoppable i mean i'm i i like him a lot i just you know always hope he stays healthy and also you know want to see him expand his game into just an overall game manager like when you look at like a guy like luca absolutely um but other than that, I mean, he's great. He just is is really incredible and is already has that clutch gene, which is something that you don't see in a lot of guys. So that's always really good to see. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, all right, let's move in to the Thanksgiving Day games. And then after that, we're going to wrap it up with On This Day in History. Um, we're going to start the first game on Thanksgiving Day for everyone. We got Bears at the Lions. The Bears are favored by three. The over-under is 38-and-a-half. The reason the Bears are favored by three is because Matt Stafford is likely to miss another game, so the Lions will be starting Jeff Driscoll. The Lions just lost to the Redskins. I, I'm hesitant to say I like the Bears minus three because that means you're putting money on Mitch Trubisky. Um, Andrew, I have a feeling you'll be a voice of reason here. Big Dog, break it down for us. What are you thinking about this Bears-Lions game? Well, this is a disgusting game, but I'm going to take the Lions plus three if I was a betting man because they benched Mitch Trubisky last week on Sunday night, which was embarrassing, and I don't think mm-hmm. – I just don't think the team's clicking right now. And I'm going to take the home team on Thanksgiving. All right. Um, Alex, do you have any thoughts on this game? Um, I am anti-Mitch Trubisky, so I'm going to go Lions. All right, and then – the over-under at 38.5, that is such a low amount of points, but honestly, <laughs> I'm not going to bet it, but I was lean under because I think this is going to be an absolute just shit show of a game to start the day. But the second game, moving to that, I think will actually be a very good game. It is the Buffalo Bills at the Dallas Cowboys. This is a big game for the Cowboys playoff-wise. The Bills, too, because they're trying to stay in the lead in the AFC wildcard picture. The Cowboys are favored by 6.5. The over-under is 45 um, I, to start off, I just think that six and a half points is too much to give the Cowboys against the Bills. Andrew, I believe you mentioned earlier that the Cowboys haven't beaten a 500 team. Uh, that is correct. And the Bills, I believe eight and three, Alex, eight and three is above 500, correct? Uh, let me do that math real quick. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be yes. All right. Um, so in this game, I love the Bills plus six and a half. I think it's going to be close. I think the Cowboys could win it. And I don't, I'm not saying um, the Bills are an easy win here, but I do like the Bills plus six and a half, and I am tempted by that money line. But it is Thanksgiving in Dallas, so you know the Cowboys are really going to come out for that. Jerry Jones said some bad things about Jason Garrett. Andrew, are you leaning the same way as I am with the Bills and the points here? How do you feel about it? Well, Dallas is 7-1 against the spread the last eight games in November. It is November. Ooh. But I'm like going to take that. the Bills plus six and a half because I don't see the Cowboys rolling the Bills. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, We'll be doing that together. Alex, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you see the Cowboys making a statement here, maybe on the uptick of their season? Or do you see the Bills, Josh Allen, the Rocket, whatever you want to call him? I love the Stallion. I love that man. Um, What do you see happening here, Alex? Yeah, I think I'm going to go in a different direction here. I, I think that Ooh. based on the terrible performance from the Cowboys 
I, it just feels like one of those games where at the end of the game, we're all going to be turning on ESPN and everybody's going to be saying, oh, have the Cowboys made the turn? And whether or not they win the game, they didn't make the turn. But here's what I'm going to say. I just think that it's in Dallas. It's Thanksgiving. It just feels like one of those games where you're going to end up seeing Amari Cooper have two touchdowns, Zeke have a touchdown. Um, so I'm going with the Cowboys on this one. Okay, I don't hate that. I like that reasoning. Um, and then let's go to the last game of the night, which could be an absolute stinker. But the Falcons did beat the Saints the last time they played. It is the Saints at the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints are favored by seven. The over-under is 49 points. I, You know, the Falcons, I, they just fuck you no matter what you do. You, you can't bet on them. You can't bet against them. They are just a mind fuck of a team. They did bench Matt Ryan at the end of last game for Matt Schaub. I believe Matt Ryan will still start. I haven't heard anything about that. I would be shocked if they actually benched Matt Ryan permanently for Matt Schaub. Um, if I had to lean in this game, I'd go lean Saints minus seven because, uh, I mean, it's it's the Saints. They're going to get the revenge game on the Falcons. The Saints didn't look that good against the Panthers last week, and maybe they're going to kind of get their shit together now. Or maybe they're going to go in a little downfall, not a da- like a little slump like they did last year going into the playoffs. Alex, we'll start with you, and then we'll wrap it up with Big Dog. Um, what what are you leaning towards in this Saints Falcons game? Um, I have full faith in the Saints here. I mean, Michael Thomas, as of late, has just seemed completely unstoppable. Alvin unstoppable. Kamara has not even had a touchdown yet since he returned from injury. Um, I think that's going to change this week. Um, I don't think the Saints are going to lose twice to the Falcons, and I think that if the Saints do win, they will win by a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm going Saints on this one. All right, sweet. That's good to hear. You might have just convinced me to take that Saints minus seven. Big Dog, why don't you wrap up the Turkey Day games for us, and then we'll move to our final segment on this day in history with Alex. So Big Dog, take it away. I like the Saints here, minus seven, but it scares me a little bit, so I'm going to throw a teaser at you. We're going to do a Thanksgiving teaser for you. The Lions a t- a plus nine. Tease? A turkey tease, yes. The Lions plus nine. The Bears can't score nine points. I feel very good that with the Lions nine point. points at home. Bills plus 13. Let's think, think. Can the Cowboys beat anyone above 500? No. No. And Especially a team with the Bills defense. Plus 13 points. Are they going to beat the Bills by two touchdowns on Thanksgiving? No. And then mm. the Saints is only minus one, so it's a pick em. And the Saints are going to at least win by three points. Saints, like, like you said, they're not going to lose twice. So the yeah, Lions I, plus nine, Bills 13, Saints minus one, plus 150 odds. All right, I like that. I will be betting that. Um, and now let's move into our final segment on this day in history. Alex, take it away. All right, boys. So uh, obviously we got to keep this uh, on this day in history themed to the Thanksgiving week. Um, so today, November 26th, 1941. So we're going back. We're going back a few years. Okay. This is the day that uh, FDR, my guy, Franklin D. Roosevelt, says that, all right, everybody, that last Thursday of November, that's when we're going to have our Thanksgiving. And that officially becomes the Thanksgiving holiday. I'll give you a little backstory on this. Please do. Essentially, you know, the pilgrims, they're, they're in Plymouth. They're like, okay. 
we need to have a day that we're going to have Thanksgiving. Like, how do we decide what day it's going to be? And obviously that becomes a religious thing. They have this lecture day. They'll do this small meetup at the church. It's going to be great. So that goes on for a while. Um, and then eventually, you know, my guy, George Washington comes along. Okay. George Washington. You guys know that guy? Yeah. GW. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Good guy. So he comes along and he's like, you know what, everybody, November 26th, that day is going to, that, that, that day is going to be Thanksgiving. And everyone's like, okay, you know, that sounds pretty good. But for some reason, everybody's like, you know what, actually we kind of like having it on a Thursday that it just feels right. Um, which is kind of weird. I think it's like a work thing. They also wanted that Friday off, I think. And that's, that's my take on it. So anyways, oh, makes sense. FDR comes around. He's like, you know what, everybody? Screw all of that. Uh, we're doing it. We're doing it on the 23rd. So whether or not it's a Thursday or not, uh, we're doing it on the 23rd. And and when he does this, uh, the 23rd that year wasn't even in the last week of November. So now we're doing it the second to last week of November. Everyone hates oh, it. Geez. Everyone hates it. Yeah. Like FDR, you have screwed us royally uh we want that we want that last week of november we want to eat thanksgiving and then immediately turn our back on the rest of the year as we look towards december and uh Mm -hmm. he says you know what everybody i have i have seen your tweets i i am sorry i screwed this up so we're doing it officially not on any specific day but we will do it on the fourth Thursday in November, moving forward, and everybody says, thank you. Wow. Story time with Alex. I love it. I know. There you go. That's a, I mean, his DMs must have been a dumpster fire. Oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> but now everybody listen to this at Thanksgiving when everybody tries to talk about politics. You can tell this lovely story about why you're all actually getting together on this particular day. Yeah. Uh, that Alex, I, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up. Um, thank you for that lovely story. Um, before we wrap it up, though, really quick, I'm going to get your guys' favorite dishes at Thanksgiving. Um, Alex, start us off. It's It's got to be the turkey. You know, I know there's a lot yeah. of things going on, a lot of people, a lot of red herrings. People get involved in other things, but uh, you got to go with the principle. It's the turkey. You, you need a good bird. That is essential. You need a good bird. Um, Big Dog, floor is yours. Some mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. You get some butter and salt in there, yeah? Gravy. Put a little oh. stuffing in there. Mm. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm a huge stuffing guy. I love stuffing. Just drench it in gravy. And then the next day, you make those turkey mashed potato stuffing sandwiches with, like, the white Wonder Bread. Oh, my gosh. My mouth is watering. Um, that's going to do it for today's show, this episode of the pineapple couch. Thank you to everyone for listening. We are actually, um, we are on Apple as usual. We are finally now on Spotify. I hadn't told Alex yet that. So yeah, Alex, we're now on Spotify. Um, and so yeah, you can follow us there. You can subscribe to us on, uh, iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, and thanks for calling in guys. Have a great, uh, rest of your week. See ya. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys.